Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The straightforward story, the one that is the one-liner for Coronation Chicken, is invented for the coronation in 1952 and then went on to be a mega hit across Britain for street parties everywhere. And that's not entirely true. Hello, I'm Dallas Campbell and welcome to Patented, a podcast series exploring the history of inventions. Well, it's the Jubilee weekend, so I thought we would celebrate and look at the origins of a very royal invention, coronation chicken. Can a recipe really be called an invention? Who knows? We are nothing if not broad on this podcast. Maybe more of a concoction, perhaps. What is it? Well, It's a classic buffet staple of cold chicken in a creamy curried mayonnaise sauce, originally prepared during the Queen's coronation back in the 50s, which gathered popularity in the 1980s before massively falling out of favour. Spoiler alert, it's absolutely delicious. I love it. It's really, really easy to make. And if you've never made coronation chicken, if you've never had it, you should totally have a go. Today, I'm going to be joined by food historian Annie Gray, to take us through the history of this much celebrated, much maligned recipe. Uh, welcome to the show, Annie Gray. It's lovely to have you here. Well, it's the day we hang out the bunting. It's the day we celebrate. So I'm of an age where I remember the Silver Jubilee. For me, that was the classic Jubilee, Queen Silver Jubilee. I think, when was it? 1970 something. We had sort of wool. 77? 77, I think. Yes, we had... Something? I'm going to get it. It's either 76, 77. 77, which is my favourite year because it's when Close Encounters came out and all those great movies. As a kid growing up then, that was like, what a year. Was that thing, I don't know, the Silver Jubilee, it was such a massive event. And I know this is obviously a massive event. I don't know, it doesn't, does it seem as massive as the Silver Jubilee? This one feels like it's kind of just coming too fast on the heels of the golden one, to be honest. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're right. I still remember getting rained on while being dressed as a Georgian solidly for four days over the golden one. And I think also coming off the back of COVID and people are still very nervous about going places and there's still a lot of kind of coming to terms with the last two or three years. I think this one feels like a bit of a damp squib, to be honest. 
Well, yeah. And also, we don't have Brian May on the roof of Buckingham Palace. That's all I remember from the golden one. I think I wasn't in the country, actually. I think maybe I was away. I'm not in the country for this one, which is fine by me. Because ah. of the, you know, the level of trauma of the rain and the a dog weed on me as well, on my skirt. Wait, a dog weed on your skirt? We were in costume. <laughs> Golden Jubilee, myself and a friend were in costume doing quite a big event at Rest Park as Georgians. There was a highwayman and there was a mugging and there was a kind of unveiling at the end. And it was huge. It was fun. But we were standing outside admiring these sort of feral wolfhound things at one point and this dog just turned up and weed on my cloak and weed all over my friend's skirt which was about a sort of five meter wide hem and pure wool so we rinsed it off as best we could and hung it up on the curtain rail to dry overnight in the hotel room we were staying in and it was so heavy it collapsed the curtain rail crikey and the room just smelled of dog wee for three solid days and then all the soldiers that were on site moved into the orangery and steamed it up and I mean you got a real sense of the past I would say but not so much of a sense of joy <laughs> I think so dilute hydrogen peroxide I think isn't that what we use for dog actually you know what's worse than dog wee is cat wee anyway you've got a bit of a bad history I think with jubilees generally it sounds like well that one in particular yeah I just think it, it would have been much easier to do this traditional jubilee thing of invite all the deserving poor to a site and feed them beef and plum pudding and snuff I mean is it not time honoured to just eat too much have a bit of social discrimination and eat plum pudding really <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Social discrimination and... It's a time-honoured tradition in Britain. It is. We've got a weird relationship with food in Britain. It's a slightly dysfunctional relationship. And when kind of the monarchy and food collide, it seems even more dysfunctional. You know, this is a podcast all about invention and innovation. I want to talk to you a little bit about Coronation Chicken, which if you grew up in the 1980s... It was one of those things that every time you went to a sort of grown-ups party of some kind, like a birthday or a wedding or whatever, there'd be coronation chicken. So it was actually, I remember it fondly. I still like it, but it's, I guess it's pretty much fallen out of favour now. Well, it kind of has and hasn't. I think it's going to have a resurgence just because of this Jubilee, mainly because whenever anybody says, oh, let's talk about Jubilee food or royal food or royal food for the masses, the inventions they come up with are Victoria Sponge and Coronation Chicken, neither of which have actually got anything to do with actual royalty eating <laughs> Don't they? Well, no, no. I'm, maybe I've got it all wrong then, because I thought, wasn't it invented for the coronation? Kind of. And also, well, yes, but also there's a bit of nuance. So the kind of the straightforward story, the one that is the one liner for Coronation Chicken is invented for the coronation in 1952 and then went on to be a mega hit across Britain for street parties everywhere. And that's not entirely true. It was invented or it was developed, I think, actually is a better word in this case than invented. I mean, you know yourself that most inventions ride on the back of other things. They are not come together by themselves. They didn't invent the chicken. The chicken was not invented in 1952. No, and things build on other things. And with Coronation Chicken, it was developed... I should say, by Rosemary Hume, who was a chef who ran a a catering school at Winkfield College, I think it was called, in the 1950s. And she was asked by the Cordon Bleu to come up with a banquet for a load of visiting dignitaries. So they were kind of 
They may have been B-list. She just says they were foreign dignitaries. They were probably the sort of C, D, E list of people invited to the coronation. So not actually eating with royalty, but eating in, I think, Westminster Hall to one side. I mean, you, know, you get the kind of gist by the fact that the Cordon Bleu asked the students to come up with a menu. So this was a kind of cool thing, but it, this is not the Queen. This is other people. That is really, really interesting because actually when you sort of frame it like that, it's kind of a bit of a... B-list, C-list, D-list dish. But it's also kind of cool because actually to have the students work on something... Well, no, it wasn't. So the students worked on this dish and they drew in various influences and Rosemary Hume said she'd based it loosely on something that I think Queen Alexandra had loved, who was Bertie, Edward VII's queen. And it had sort of vague antecedents. So there had been dishes of chicken with a sort of mayonnaise sauce around previously and a lot of people say it was based on a thing called jubilee chicken but no one i can find no one i know can find any hint of jubilee chicken as a dish that relates to what became coronation chicken so on the menu they came up with it was one among many dishes and it was called poulet reine elizabeth so your classic thing let's take a dish that we've just developed and name it for the queen because then it sounds cool and we'll serve it to these dignitaries because then it sounds very coronation-y and it's all celebratory and it was really quite a technical dish in its original form so the mayonnaise was involved but also dried apricots and really it was much nicer than the modern one well, can you take us through just for, the, for those who don't know what the hell we're talking about Everyone knows what we're talking about because they're listening to an episode about coronation chicken. But just take us through the original, the way I remember it. I suspect it's a slight artistic license. For example, I remember my mum slash my grandmother putting sultanas in. And my little bit of research I did today, it was like, no, 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 there's never sultanas. It's, as you say, dried apricots. So take us through for those wanting to make original 1952 D-list dignitary coronation chicken. Well, I shall read out the original description. So the recipe was sort of published eventually, later in the 1950s, 1956, in a book called The Constant Spry Cookery Book. And Constant Spry is often associated with the dish because she really was the famous one of the duo of Constant Spry, Rosemary Hume. Constant Spry had been a florist, was a florist. Yeah, and a really, really leading society florist. But she and Rosemary Hume wrote this book. And in it, they had this bit about the cooking school. And they said, da-da-da-da-da, you know, we did all this, blah, 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 da-da-da, and... Poulet Reine Elizabeth was chicken boned and coated in curry cream sauce with, at one end of each dish, well-seasoned dressed salad of rice, green peas and pimentos. So when you actually make it, you start off by boiling, poaching a whole chicken, which you then take off the bone. So that's a stage. And of course, you cook it up with loads of vegetables. You make a sort of curry sauce involving curry powder, tomato puree, curry paste, various other things. Then you mix that with mayonnaise fortified with cream. Then you add in dried apricots that have been rehydrated in water and very, very finely minced. And it's a really, it's a beautiful, subtle dish. And it is not yellow. But the bastardised form is yellow. But the yellow, doesn't that come from the curry powder, the sort of turmeric and the curry powder? Well, it does, but if you use if you use a really nice curry powder, a 1950s curry powder, it'll be more of a kind of pinky shade. That's interesting. So it's published and no one did anything with it. It was just a dish, whatever. And the first mentions of it really in the popular press don't start till the 70s. It seems to have sort of gone abroad and maybe been cooked in New Zealand and Canada a bit more than here and then it came back again. It's a slow evolution. Prue Leith talks about it in the very early 80s in one of her cookery columns, but very much in terms of people Fanny don't Craddock know what it is. Fanny Craddock must have No, done. no, no, it's not cool enough for Fanny Craddock. There's really? no green food colouring. 
I remember Fanny pummeling a chicken. You know, it's indelibly ingrained on my poor Johnny in the background. Fanny Credit was she's badass. I amazing love... and a real popularist. She's great. But Fanny Craddock sort of took very French influence stuff and then made it fun and made it interesting and made it a much cooler thing, which this comes out of a very rarefied elitist style of cookery, which is very much about the French style not really being popular. It's the equivalent, I suppose, of catering colleges today, turning out students who are very technically able. So it was a, a sort of training exercise. And then, of course, in the 80s, it ended up just being chicken chopped up with mayonnaise and some mango chutney, maybe some sultanas, as you say. You get it into the deli all the time. Yeah. Get that sort of and it's like... really yellow. Hi there, I'm Kate Lister, sex historian and author, and I am the host of Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex, scandal and society, a new podcast from History Hit. Join me as I root around the topics which have been skipped over in your school history lessons. Everything from the history of swearing to pubic hair, satanic panic, cults, there is nothing off limits. We'll be bed hopping around different time periods, from ancient civilizations to the Middle Ages to Renaissance and early modern right up to now. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to ask you about the curry powderness of the original coronation chicken. Is there a link between the sort of curry powder and sort of Britain and India? Like, why did they use curry powder? Because was it just what was knocking around in the kitchen cabinet, as opposed to let's get all the spices and grind them up and toast them and sort of blend them properly? Well, you'd like to think that it was in homage to the empire, wouldn't you? But uh, Yeah, well, it seems like a kind of empire thing. Kind of not. Well, no, I mean, India had achieved independence by then. There was a lot of sort of smarting even then about the death of the British Empire. But curry had become so embedded in the British psyche by then, or what the British called curry, anyway. We were able to buy curry powder by 1711, so it has a really, really long history in Britain. And you have what we call curry, which is a very Anglo-Indian thing, based on usually proprietary curry pastes and curry powders. And then you have the kind of quote-unquote authentic kind of dishes, not ever called curry, that you would find in India and obviously Pakistan and, and Bangladesh as well. So the curry powder that Coronation Chicken was based on was very much what you bought. And this is an era where rationing was still in full force. So actually this dish was quite exotic. And of course, now we think, uh, Coronation Chicken, whatever, it's there with the prawn cocktail sauce. But to have dried apricots, to have this mixture of flavours, to have spices, to have chicken, which was incredibly expensive at that point, and access to fresh eggs and cream and all the rest of the stuff, it was a dish which for its time was quite exotic and very much a wealthy person's dish as well. There's something good about it. You know, for me, it's that combination of the sweet that you get from the dried fruit and the creaminess and the slight sharpness of the mayonnaise. and the ch- It's just a bit like, as you say, prawn cocktail, the Mary Rose prawn cocktail sauce, which is just mayonnaise and ketchup. 
and a bit of lemon juice. I love that. Honestly. Classic. It has such a bad reputation, but I think it's... I don't even put ketchup in mine. Oh, I come tend to on. do mayonnaise, cream, Tabasco, a little bit of smoked paprika. See, again, it's the 70s, 80s thing, you know, because that's what we kind of... It really is. That's what we kind of grew up with. What was it about the kind of 70s and 80s that propelled it into vogue again was it the kind of ease of it or was it was just readily available it was what was it or was it tv chefs like you mentioned well you have a rise of sandwich joints in the 1970s and even more in the 1980s so when marks and spencer introduces the prawn cocktail sandwich which is still their biggest seller i love you that's my favorite thing the marks and spencer's prawn sandwich is a thing of beauty (laughs) but it's actually a sort of quiet revolution as well the 70s is the decade where more people stay at work to have lunch or take lunch to work or have lunch in a work break than to go home for lunch. So the kind of model previously among workers was to go home and have a full dinner at lunchtime. But now you've got more and more people wanting to have sandwiches and wanting to have easy fillings. And okay, you've got your cheese, you've got your ham, you've got your plowmans, you've got your, your prawn cocktail, and then you kind of run out, especially because you need something that doesn't soak into the bread, which is why you always get that mayonnaise layer between your tomato and your bread to stop the kind of slippage. But... Coronation chicken is a really good thing for a sandwich filling. It's just exotic enough for a person on their lunch break to think, you know what, I'm so sophisticated. But it's not exotic enough to actually make someone think they might be eating something a bit foreign. So for a sort of worker British lunch, grabbed on the go, coronation chicken is an excellent sandwich filling. And it does work as well for buffets and sort of parties and those kind of things. I remember my very first Marks and Spencer sandwich. It was really weird because I remember I was with my mum and the idea of actually buying a ready-made sandwich was unheard of at the time. It like, just didn't exist. And the fact that it came in a wrapper and you sort of peeled it back. And I remember thinking how decadent this was and how ridiculous this was. And this will never catch on because why would you buy a sandwich in a shop? And, then... and it is decadent and ridiculous when they come pre-packed and you've got all of that plastic packaging. And actually, you know, it's a, we now know it is really unsustainable. But for about kind of 40 years, it was like, whoa, yes, the pre-packed sandwich won't keep you full, will taste horrible. But by goodness me, there's a thrill when you rip the packet open. Okay, listen, I want to, because I'm going to make Coronation Chicken this weekend, but where do I go for, you know, the origins, the source of the river? So I'm looking for constant spry and... Constant Spry and Rosemary Hume, and it's in a thing called the Constant Spry Cookery Book. It is online. There are various copies of it online, or you can probably pick one up for about 5p from Bookfinder or somewhere like that if you want the original. It's a nice book. It's a good book. The recipes are excellent. The rice pudding in there is my go-to rice pudding. Ah, okay. So it is, it's a more accessible book than many, although I will say a lot of the techniques are relatively complicated and it's the upper end of 1950s cuisine, I would say, rather than the kind of Fanny Craddock. So get yourself that, but get a Fanny as well. Okay. Maybe just to balance it. Honestly, I could spend all day just watching Fanny Craddock videos on YouTube. I have. She's like pre-Keith Floyd. She was like the kind of Keith Floyd of the day, that sort of irreverent... You know, whatever. I do know a person doing a PhD on early television chefs with a speciality in Fanny Craddock who would know. That's the best PhD ever. See, in another life, I want to be a food historian like you. I totally understand your world. I love your world and I love food history and particularly television food history. Did you have a kind of a moment of clarity that um, you thought this is what I want to do? 
I did. I did a history undergraduate degree and didn't really enjoy it because it was very political and very sort of great white men striding the world. And then I sort of went off to the wilderness for a while and got sacked from every job I had. And what turned it round was doing a master's in historical archaeology. So archaeology, but sort of post 1450, post 1600, depending on who you talk to. And one of the sort of modules in this thing was to study domestic rituals around drinking chocolate. So the chocolate, as it first came to Britain, was always drunk, not eaten. And I went home and I made it because my dad was a chocolate chemist. So he had access to the the raw ingredients, cocoa liquor, the 100% cocoa stuff. So I thought, hey, I'll make it. I'll see what it tastes like. So I made this recipe, which involved chocolate and chilli and aniseeds and cloves and orange flower water and almonds. And it was unbelievably good. And I just thought, my God... I can eat professionally. And also I knew I wanted to work with museums and I knew I wanted to be a public historian and therefore food was so accessible. Everybody eats. And it was just, this is, it was like a sort of bell went off and I thought, this is fantastic. I really want to do more of this. It's great. Well, it's one of those subjects, I think, that taps into so many different disciplines. I mean, it's history, but it's also chemistry, but it's also social history. It's also anthropology, all these different things it sort of touches and it's really, really interesting. And it's art as well because you eat with your eyes so there's so much there and botany and geography when you start studying where the ingredients come from, you know everything is there, all life is on a plate Exactly, okay, just finally, favourite TV chef, got to be Fanny presumably Yeah, I think probably does have to be Fanny No, it does have to be Fanny, I do have a soft spot for Ramon Blanc because it makes me laugh. He just makes me laugh. And he's just, he's clearly a god. And also, if you buy his books, they've been home so well. He has footnotes. My favourite of his books is Kitchen Secrets, which has footnotes. And I'm a sucker for a footnote. I think everyone should use them. It's great. If you could save one of your cookbooks, historical cookbooks, or any cookbook, what would it be? There's a house fire. You can only grab one. It would probably be Garrett's Encyclopedia of Practical Cookery, all eight volumes. Nice. Okay, you can have that. Sorry, I'm suddenly doing Desert Island Coronation Chicken. What are you making for the coronation weekend, or are you going out to Marks and Spencer's? I'm going to be on holiday, so I would imagine... I'm really hoping we get to go to a sort of really kind of old-fashioned style French restaurant that I've got my eye on that does things like sweetbreads and brain fritters. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It's been a while since I've been able to wallow in this really old-fashioned stuff. Anyway, listen, Annie, it's been a pleasure. We've run out of time, but thank you. I'll send you a picture of my coronation chicken. You can mark it out of (laughs) ten. Do I have to boil the chicken? Can I just roast the chicken and just pull You can roast the chicken. Do you know what? Cooking is an interpretive art. It's all about what you like. It's personal taste. There's no such thing as authentic. Hey, listen, Annie, a great pleasure. Have a lovely weekend in France or doing whatever you'll do. And thank you. We'll get you back on to discuss the origins of other recipes, I'm sure, at some point, because now I'm sort of hooked. Good luck with your coronation chicken as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Heavy on the Hellman's. Okay, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy making it. I'm going to be making coronation chicken right now. Uh, if you do make it, send me a picture on Twitter, uh, and I'll. If it looks good, I will retweet it. If it looks terrible, I, I might not. And don't forget, I'll be back every Wednesday and Sunday with brand new episodes. And as ever, I would love your company. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive 
and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.